Blog Talk Radio. Hey, Dr. Ross Green here, coming to you live from the offices of Lives in the Balance here in Portland, Maine. Getting colder out there. Starting to feel like late fall here in the hinterlands, but um, that's okay. We'll do um, we'll do this program no matter what the weather. And today is Educators Panel Day on helping behaviorally challenging students at school. Um, and today, uh, well, we've got our educators panel standing by. Not all of them have called in yet, and we have a special treat. Um, we're going to be hearing from one of the principals in one of the schools that is involved in the project that we have going on here in Maine, where um, solving problems collaboratively is being implemented in about 15 schools geographically distributed throughout the state, elementary school, middle schools, high schools. Um, and uh, one of the principals is going to be calling in. Now, I was just on the line with him a second ago, but we got cut off. So we'll see if he calls back in because um, his school is not quite as far along as some of the others in the project in terms of uh, what they're doing with the model, but um, that's okay because different schools are on at different points in their journey in the direction toward non-punitive, non-adversarial, collaborative, proactive, skill-building, relationship-enhancing interventions. So, you know, I always get a little confused about who we have here. I think that this is Tom Ambrose. Tom, is that you or is it Nina? It's nobody. Let's see who we have here. This is Nina. Hi. Oh, yes, it's Hi, Nina. Nina. Sorry. Thank, Hi. thank you for laughing in the background. That helped me uh, determine whose voice it was. Um, oh, good. And I think, that, I think that this is Carol. Carol, are you on with us now? Yes, I am. Outstanding. And um, Ryan, do we have you with us? All right, maybe not. I'm going to end that one, and we'll see what happens. How are you both? Great. Nina and Carol, that is. Doing great. Very good. Great, thank you. Good. So um, we're waiting to hear from Tom, uh, uh, who's a member of the educators panel, of course, and we're also waiting to hear from Ryan Quinn, who's the principal at Kennebunk Elementary School, in uh, Kennebunk, Maine, and that's another school that's involved in the project. I think we now have Tom on the line. Tom, is Hello. that you? It is. Good, we have Tom, too. So just to give you all some advance notice, um, you may have already heard this from Lindsay, who, who does a wonderful job of coordinating this program and all the rest. Um, we're going to have Ryan Quinn from Kennebunk Elementary calling in today, uh, and there he is. Now he's on. Um, Now let's see what happens. Somebody else just got switched off. Maybe we can't have all of these people on the line at the same time. 
Maybe that's the issue. All right. So because when I try to bring Ryan on, sorry, just hang on there for a second. Oh, good. Now we have everybody. Ryan, are you with us? I am. Technology's given us a little trouble today. I don't exactly know why, but here we are. Uh, Carol, Nina, and Tom. Ryan's school is well into its training on the model, um, not yet to the point of school-wide implementation. And one of the things we're going to start doing on this program, at least for a little bit each week, is hear from some of the other schools participating in the project and hear how they are doing. And then you all can weigh in if your schools are a little bit further along in the journey. And um, I don't know, maybe you all will have some guidance to offer. What do you think? That's fine. I'm hoping from everybody else. Yeah. (laughs) Excellent. Ryan, tell us how things are going with implementing the model in your building, where where yeah. are things at with you all? We are in our second year. Uh, this is the first year where we really started the year off knowing that we had CPS in place and planning on um, really using it as part of the continuum of interventions that we have in place for for children who are experiencing uh, difficulty and and uh, you know and problem behaviors. Um, we have always had a student assistant team. Uh, which sort of filters uh, issues to the, the, the correct group um, for dealing with them. Uh, we have, you know, everything from a, a special education behavior program for kids with diagnosed, um, you know, behavioral disorders that are having adverse effect on academics to in-class social curriculum. Uh, we utilize the second step for all children to kind of build those skills. Um, we have uh, RTI for behavior for kids who need ongoing support. We have guidance behavior plans for kids who just need short interventions. And we have 504s like all schools do for uh, perceived diagnoses and, uh, and issues that don't quite rise to the level of special ed. But adding in uh, collaborative problem solving has been amazing because it's kind of been what has captured all of those kids that you just couldn't figure out. Um, you know, each each of the things that we had in place before was great and still is great when you know that that's where kids belong. But for those kids who we just couldn't get a beat on what was going on with them, um, the collaborative problem solving process has been has been fantastic. Good. Where are you in terms of um, the number of people in the building who you feel are getting pretty half-decent at this. Um, of course, the goal of the project is school-wide implementation. Sure. My sense is that you are moving in that direction but um, are not there yet. Um, we have on the call with us Nina DeAaron, whose school is quite well on the way there, and yeah. Tom Ambrose, whose school is quite well on the way there. Yeah. Um, they might be able to give you some input on, and I was just, where was I? I was in um, London, Ontario last week, meeting with uh, educators in various buildings whose schools are moving in the direction toward uh, full school implementation, but none of them are quite there yet, but the sure. Kings Valley schools are trying to make a run of this. 
Um, yeah. Where's your school? Because there's a variety of hurdles that can get in the way. Where are you yeah. guys? Yeah. We, uh, as part of the grant, we trained uh, seven people plus myself. Um, so that's seven staff members who went through the, the training um, and felt comfortable enough to bring it to the rest of the staff. Fortunately, uh, this week there is a Lives in the Balance uh, conference right in Portland, Maine, and we are sending 14 additional staff members to that conference. Um, included in that 14 are all of the people who are on our SAT team who will ultimately filter kids when appropriate to collaborative problem solving. Um, and so with the original seven plus myself and the 14 new folks that will get uh, that experience this week, that puts us at, at half of our uh, certified staff having at least some sort of training um, and, and investment in this process. That's outstanding. Um, so you are at the point, it sounds like, of um, having – some people who are moving in the direction of becoming proficient, some, and this would include approximately half of your building, that are either at that point or at least being exposed. Yeah. Tom and Nina, I'm betting, um, and Carol, you can weigh in here too from your old building. Um, Tom and Nina, you all were there once. Any words of wisdom for Ryan? Because I often find that for Mr. Uh, Quinn, because... I find that this is one of the hardest points. You get some momentum going in the core group and then um, get some more people exposed. Tom, I distinctly remember your building being at that point. How do you move it to the next level? Share the results of the people who are on board. Say more. Well, if you have success with a student, and it's helpful, and sharing that with other people, it kind of builds an organic grassroots culture in the school that it's about us helping the kids, and uh, it kind of feeds the fire of this This works. And so when that happens, it really kind of builds on itself. My guidance counselor came, my first year here, we didn't have a guidance counselor, uh, and that was very challenging for me to run the building and try to help the kids with emotional issues. The second year, we had a point four guidance counselor, but she hadn't been trained in the model. Uh, so she went to the training, got her feet wet, kind of knew what was going on. But this summer, she went again to the advanced training, and now she's really, really starting to pick up some energy with it. And it's just uh, amazing what a difference it makes when the building has somebody who's not administration, who's working really hard utilizing this model. It kind of creates a certain collegiality. And I, so I think that having people like guidance, social work, the SAT team, it sounds like you're headed right in the right direction, but I think it's really important for those people who are using it to share their successes with others in a genuine, excited kind of way. We had one, one teacher um, voice record her Plan B conversation on uh, an iPhone and then play it back to staff in a staff meeting, and we all talked about what went well and what she would like to do differently in the future, and just that kind of sharing really helps everyone to, to kind of feel safe to, to try, which is the battle. And Tom, I remember that you were continuously exposing your staff to the model, continuously finding opportunities for people to talk about it, ask questions about it. Um, 
even outside of your core group of people, um, I think that you made it abundantly clear that you felt this was important, you wanted to galvanize people to do it, and you wanted to give them whatever support they needed to start doing it. Now, yeah, now how yeah, about... Yeah. Go ahead, That's sorry, important, Tom. Ross. That, that administrative support is really important because our most valuable commodity in schools really is time, and time costs a lot of money. And so giving people time to, to learn and to do makes a big difference. But I certainly, I'd love to hear what Nina has to say about that as well. Yeah, I think everything that you're saying, and it sounds like you're completely on the right track, and I would just continue to say what um, Tom was saying in that open communication and celebrating the successes in uh, kind of open forums is so important because I feel like when kids aren't doing well, it's um, kind of more public than the private successes behind closed doors. And it's really important to keep that communication open, and especially if staff are have questions or wondering instead of uh, them feeling like they can't, sometimes they feel like they can't talk to administration because of um, feeling like they might be saying something against the philosophy or against the model, but having other people talk about it is just so important, and I think that's really what changes the momentum for sure. And just encouraging people to just practice Plan B and that spending, I think people get, Staff gets worried about doing it incorrectly, especially when they're starting off, but knowing that um, having the plan B cheat sheet and trying on your own is you, you can never do harm. You know, spending 30 minutes with a student, having an empathetic conversation, building relationship and trying is always has a, a wonderful result. So I think it sounds though that you're doing amazing things. Uh, Carol, want to weigh in? Um, well, what I love hearing is that there is the support um, from your district to be providing the grants and allowing that many people to go and learn about the model and to, to really show that support. That's just such a huge piece that, um, you know, to have people understand and hear from the source what this is all about and why. Um, I think once people attend one of these sessions, they certainly get that gut feeling as I did that this is just right. This is the right thing to do. So your staff is very fortunate to have that opportunity. And the good news is this. Ryan, I want to thank you for the plug for the conference. Um, <laughs> I think I'll spend no 30 seconds talking about it. Um, the model, and I, I know that Tom has been sitting, listening to you using the words collaborative problem solving and he's saying to himself, when is Ross going to correct Ryan in the use of that term? Because I've let you say it like three to five times here, and whenever Tom says it, an alarm goes off, because um, tr truth is the model name has changed because I'm not allowed to use the term collaborative problem solving anymore. So it's now, you can say CPS still, but it's now collaborative and proactive solutions. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, no no worries. Not, not that big of a deal, but... Um, uh, it won't be the only focal point of the conference. We are just as pleased as can be. We've got, believe it or not, over 450 people so far coming on Friday this week. The good news for people who can't attend is that virtually the entire conference is being videotaped, and there will be streaming video on, of the conference on the Lives in the Balance website within a month of the 
conference taking place. So if you can't be there, and of course most people can't be there, but there will be 450 to 500 fortunate souls who can be there. Um, the opening speaker is Robin Peters Bennett, who's from the U.S. Alliance to End the Hitting of Children, who's a wonderful speaker on the harm done by punitive adversarial intervention. Then we have a surprise performance um, that um, our associate director, Sheila Nee, has seen this group put on its presentation um, in other parts of Maine, and apparently it is extremely moving, but we want the conference attendees to be surprised. So that's at the end of the first um, part of the morning. Then Dan Lozen, who's one of the people who originated the whole line of research called the school-to-prison pipeline, will be speaking. Then I'll be speaking. That ends the morning. And then the afternoon is eight different breakout groups on non-punitive, non-adversarial interventions. And yes, there will be two breakout groups on collaborative and proactive solutions, but there will also be breakout groups on a variety of other interventions that fall under that non-punitive, non-adversarial umbrella. The goal is to educate people on all kinds of non-punitive, non-adversarial interventions, but also galvanize people to advocate for those interventions in their communities. So, your staff is in for quite a treat. Nice. Um, what else, any other things you want to pick the brains of our panel on as it relates to where your school is at, where you'd like it to be, how you're going to get them there, any other things you have questions about? Um, I think I think what what we found is that people were very excited about the training and then when we actually began to start to sit with kids that was when kind of putting it into action um, for some people it seemed a little bit intimidating because I think people are not used to having those real deep conversations with kids about you know uh, you know what the child is experiencing or what they what the child feels like they're reacting to you know so much of what we do as educators is assess the situation and make a determination and teachers are very much used to that um, and what we've learned is that we're, we're not always accurate in terms of what we assume to be the reasons behind why kids are doing things. Um, and having those conversations with the kids has been a huge eye-opener for folks. Um, but that, that part has been, um, you know, that part has been new for people and getting parent permission um, to go through this process with kids. We've found a little bit of you know, a little bit of parents um, kind of stepping back and saying, okay, you know, what is this about? And so educating the parents has been important too, um, you know, a really important piece in this because it is different and it, it, does, it does certainly change things. But I've noticed this year my staff, uh, the folks who went through the training last year were, you know, they came to that first meeting with names. They came with names of kids that they wanted to bring through this process and where they had already done it with some kids, it really was kind of about refining the questions that you ask when you're there um, doing those, having those Plan B conversations with kids. So for, for us, what we're finding is each time it gets easier, um, but 
you know, even coming back after the summer break where people had, if people had had uh, good experience with it and good results, um, then everybody went home and, and coming back, people were a little bit nervous again to, to get back into this because it is different um, for regular ed employees to be having those kind of conversations that in the past were really the realm of guidance counselors. Um, but we were also very fortunate in that in the middle of this process, um, our guidance counselor who ultimately wrote the grant and received the grant for us left us and we had to hire a new guidance counselor. And that kind of threw everything up in the air a little bit, um, but it really gave us pause to look at what we were doing across the board in terms of supporting kids and what we really wanted to do and having those conversations as a whole staff uh, at the end of last year. Um, so we really hit the ground running this year. We were really excited about it, but what we're finding is it's about refining that questioning piece and asking the right questions when you're there with the kids. Because if you don't ask the right questions, they're not going to volunteer, you know, what's behind what they're doing. Uh, panel, I'm sure that you all had people who entered into this with great trepidation. Uh, this is a new skill for many people. Um, How did you all handle people who were nervous about um, not doing something well, doing something new? Carol, you want to throw uh, – we'll go well, in reverse was, order yeah, here. Just thinking, Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was thinking about um, a couple of different um, uh, examples that I could that I could give. I – remember with one teacher at my previous school who was ended up being quite a proponent of the model um the first couple of times um you know he would have a talk with a student and, and come back and talk with me and say i think i did that totally wrong like i i was talking too much and i was giving too many ideas and so what we did was we kind of um actually discussed it beforehand like what um what do you think you might want to say um and and just preparing, especially for what I found was the hardest part is that silence when students give you the quick, I don't know, and you have to kind of say, you know, yeah, that's okay. It might take some time. Let's think. Yeah. And letting them have that silence for a while, that, that for me was a big part. Um, I had another teacher here at my new school that I've been at since September who, um, you know, doesn't really know the model, but the first time he had, he came to me with a student concern, and I said, well, let's sit down, and, you know, I'm going to, it's a great chance I'll get to show you kind of how I talk with kids when they're having concerns like this. And he, I didn't even really have much time to, to prep him and say, you know, be prepared for a bunch of silence and don't jump in. But he was a natural. He totally just sat back and took, you know, followed my lead and, and uh, let the student think for a bit. And then the information that we ended up getting out of that was really very much aha inducing. So, um, that might be something to, to work on, like to front load, staff with is you're going to get to a point where nobody's going to say anything, and that's okay. You can both take time to think <laughs> if you need it. I like that, the think time. I, I, I think that's a, a great strategy. And what we have been doing in that situation is, you know, kids will say, I don't know why. And then we say, well, 
if you did know, what do you think the reason would be? And a lot of times, <laughs> believe it or not, that works with them. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, because I think they're saying they don't know because that's a, a quick way to kind of avoid, and, and I think they're hoping that we're just going to, you know, allow them to get away with that and move on. Um, but sure. that, that probing, I, I, different strategies for probing are always fantastic because mm-hmm. you've got to have that bag of tricks. Something different is going to work with each child, and uh, I like the idea of just letting them sit and think and uh, and uh, letting maybe that silence get a little uncomfortable um, and uh, seeing if that makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Nina, want to weigh in? Uh, I think you've been saying it all exactly right in that, that open communication and um, you listening to the concerns to the staff and uh, maybe to the parents and um, you being able to just have that open dialogue and talk about, you know, what hasn't worked so far to kind of saying, well, we've tried these things. Can we give this a try and model the model and, and try to give that administrative support if there's time or anything that can be given to um, the staff to support, you know, in those early stages of trying to uh, get this the model rolling in the school, I think uh, makes all the difference. Yeah. And I, I think in terms of, um, parent reactions. What what I should what I should qualify what I'm saying with is, while it was important for us to be able to communicate to parents of kids we were having Plan B conversations with, um, we had far many more parents who called and emailed and thanked us for entering into this process. People who had read Lost at School and The Explosive Child and and who already were familiar. Um, with Dr. Green's work, we're mm-hmm. just thrilled when we got on board with this. So while it, it has been important to kind of work with the parents of the kids um, who were not familiar with it and the kids we were having those Plan B conversations, um, you know, as soon as we put out the information in, in my weekly newsletter that, that this was a process we were utilizing and, you know, don't be surprised if you're hearing more about it, um, we got far more positive feedback than questions. That's great. No, oh, that's wonderful. We, we did too. I found that um, in community, in this community, uh, we had a very similar situation. A lot of parents had already read the book, and I've noticed that that typically um, is is kind of indicative of an upper upper, upper socioeconomic um, yep. demographic, which is fascinating because a lot of the time the students who need the support are the ones who are who tend to struggle. Um, mm. Come from a background that maybe doesn't have the level of education. Although not always true, I'm making gross generalizations, but I'm just saying typically a lot of the kids who struggle behaviorally yeah. um, have struggles at home too, and and it's just fascinating to to think about um, the relationship between parents' educational attainment and and knowledge and the students uh, what they come through the door with, you know, and so we found it to to be we found it to be very supportive from the parents perspective of those who knew about the work yeah. that we were taking this on and that was very encouraging. Yeah. Tom, you have a counseling degree. I and do. So um I'm not sure that that's the most relevant point to my question here, but I'm wondering why people quite frankly get so shook up, I'm talking about adults here, when they're trying to engage a kid in a discussion about a problem, um, there are so many things that sort of 
upset the apple cart for the adult. There's the kid not saying what they thought the kid was going to say. There's the kid not saying anything at all. There's a huge shift from what some people might consider the norm of the way adults approach kids about problems. We often talk to the kid about the behavior rather than the problem that set in motion the behavior. We often tell the kid what we think is going on and have a great deal of difficulty um, probing for what's really going on. Anything our panel members want to add to the list of these things that upset the apple cart for adults when they're trying this on for size to try to do it, and why it's so hard for people, and especially people, some of whom actually take great pride in their ability to talk to kids and have difficulty when they're trying to talk to kids in this way. Any thoughts on that? I actually have a, a quick thought about that, and I think that it really all comes down to one thing, uh, curiosity. I've seen you work with kids, Ross, and the one thing you said to me is, you just have to be curious. Don't get frustrated. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of adults want it to be fixed and better. And, and I think a lot of adults are used to uh, a sit-and-get model of communication where they lead, they lead and the student does what they say to do, and then they get results. And this is uh, reversing that paradigm, which is part of that other conversation that you and I were emailing about earlier today about you know, the relationship between uh, current practices and classroom instruction and, and the philosophy of, of CPS. They're very closely related, and I think that that's a big shift. So a lot of times those teachers who have a struggle with uh, um, best practice in the classroom with instruction also struggle with best practice what I would consider to be best practice in, in managing behavior, which is to do, uh, to work to solve problems proactively. Be a little, I think that would not be a... Ryan, can you stay on the phone with us for a little longer? I can. I can. Your uh, colleague here from the state of... the ranks of the principals in the state of Maine, I've <laughs> heard him talk about this a little bit, and it's actually fascinating to me. Um, Tom, go a little bit further with what you're talking about with the overlap between solving problems collaboratively and new initiatives, the, the direction things seem to be heading in um, in education these days. Well, well, I think the essence of, of solving problems, you know, working to, to be proactive or using Plan B, the, the, the gist of it is that the student has voice and choice in the situation. Look at the process. The first step is empathy. We listen to them. Um, and, and I've heard you say that you know we could almost call the empathy stuff the the digging for information phase or the the um, mining for information. It's about listening, but it's also about asking the right questions to lead the process. Uh, and then the then the, the adult shares their concerns, and then the two work together to solve the problems. Well, if you look at uh, the work of Lucy Hawkins in the Teachers College, um, you have. Uh, a lot of voice and choice in the work that you do in that model. So the student receives a mini-less lesson for approximately five to ten minutes or an interactive read-aloud where the teacher demonstrates the skills that are available and then the student moves to working independently at their level with the work that they're working on and then the teacher conferences with the student. As the teacher is conferencing with the student, they're essentially saying, hey, I noticed that you're struggling with this part of your writing. What's up with that? 
the student says, you know, this is where I'm at, and the, the teacher might offer some suggestions or they'll work together to solve it. And then there's time to partner share, uh, where you work with your a, a, col a, a colleague, a peer, student that you work together and share your work uh, in both reading and writing. And, and so the, the fundamental principles, what, I, what I've been very lucky to experience is that I, I knew about this work of Plan B and the things that, that we've worked together on, Ross, and, and then also had the unique opportunity of spending three weeks uh, plus two full weeks at my district working with Lucy Calkins in, in Columbia University, combined with having coaching in my building with Kathy Collins, who's an expert in this area. So I've just been lucky to draw some really kind of exciting conclusions between the way that we approach behavior management proactively. Um, and I don't even like to think of it as behavior management. I like to think of it more as like engagement. Because if you're engaged, you're not misbehaving. But, but anyway, that's another story. So basically the long and short of it is I've been lucky to see this kind of unique connection between very progressive research-based modern instruction and the work that you've been doing in the mental health setting being applied in schools. Nina, Carol, Ryan, any reaction to that? This is. I I would agree um, entirely, and and I would say with our second and third graders, um, we we do have those. We have in the past had those conversations in terms of academics, and you know, and and trying to get at you know what the child's perspective is. What I find, we we are a school with six kindergarten classrooms and six first grade classrooms as well. Um, and oftentimes those children don't have the language to describe exactly what's going on. So teasing that out can be, we have found, a little more problematic with those younger kids who, you know, sometimes may, may, may know how they're feeling but can't put it into words. Can I offer a suggestion, Ryan? Sure. Have them, have them draw it for you yeah. and oh, have perfect. them use pictures or use... Um, um, any kind of visual that they can point to, there are a variety of ways that you could do that. And if you'd like to talk about it, feel free to give me a call. Oh, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think just what we, we've noticed is just what Tom's saying, that at our school, the same, any new initiative, it's just throughout the past few years, it's all been connected with CPS. And it's just amazing that once you really are um, using the model, you realize how much is connected to the curriculum and to classroom management techniques and that you i just you can read anything and you can the research is talking about things that are connected to cps so it's just been wonderful to see it almost as full circle and all parts of the school is are connected with um, cps being that philosophy that kids do well if they can and to um get their perspective is the the overarching goal for all of us yeah. and i think yeah. even technology nina plays in because yep. if you use technology to help increase engagement it solves some problems Absolutely. So it's fascinating how it, it isn't just the instructional practices. It's the very, at this point, it's my fifth year working on this work with with Ross and our group and whatnot. But for me, it's it's just, um, I guess in every decision that I make, I don't know about you, Nina, but at this point, it's like intuitive. I don't even have to think like, okay, let's think about these steps. What am I going to do? I I immediately go to, okay, I know this kid's going to yeah. do well if they can, and I know that there's a problem here. And I've got tools to deal with it, so my con my confidence is much stronger in a very positive way. 
Right. Yeah. And if you read anything about working with challenging children, even if it's not directly related to CPS, there's n- nothing that's saying use more rewards and punishment. So that's right. kind of the nice thing, too, that you can send that out to staff and say, oh, look, this person right. is also saying it. So it's not, it's, you know, really it's everywhere you read, everywhere you turn, that yeah. best practice is, you know, steering away from those things that everybody's been doing for years and that was ingrained in all of us for so long is, oh, pull out more rewards, they need more punishment, and then it's not just us saying it anymore. It's, there's n- no one saying that. So Yeah. You, yeah. you mean so people are finally, like, not doing what didn't work? Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. You know, it's kind of like the definition of insanity, keep doing something yeah. the same way and expect a different result. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Funny. So that's just so reassuring, and it's, like, validating on so many levels to be able yeah. to share that. It is. Ryan, any of this resonating? Oh, uh, absolutely, absolutely. That that is, you know, I, I would agree with that one hundred percent. And we all already um, were non-punitive, um, you know, in terms of the way that we dealt with issues even before this grant. Um, it was always just about processing the situation with the children. We don't keep them in at recess. We don't, you know, we don't have, you know, punitive uh, things in place. The, what 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 tends to be um, you know the deterrent from the behavior, the, the you know the the closest thing to a um, you know any type of a any type of a consequence is having to come and talk about what what they've done, and sometimes that alone stings a little bit, but that's not the the purpose of it, and um, and none of what we do is about punishment. Um, it's mm-hmm. always really just been about helping them move to the next level. But the, what's been fantastic about this is it's been helping us with those kids that we couldn't figure out. The, you know, with, with most kids, you can tell what's going on pretty easily. And, you know, teachers are very good at kind of honing right in on what's going on with a child. But there are those kids who are a mystery, and you don't understand why they continue to do the, make the same mistakes again and again, and you're not sure what, you know, what the trigger is. And, and that's what this what this process has been uh, unbelievably helpful with is those kids. Um, that sounds great. Carol, any thoughts? Uh, well, I was interested in hearing the, the curriculum discussion because British Columbia just came out with drafts of curriculum K through 9 in English, Language, Arts, Math, and Science, and Social Studies um, that are threaded throughout with what they call core competencies. And I was just uh, skimming over them again as uh, we were talking, and I was checking off mentally how many of them um, are practiced and actually tied directly into the model. So it's things like creative and innovative thinking, where kids are generating alternative solutions and and showing flexibility, Um, the social-emotional domain, personal awareness and responsibility, including personal um, uh, understanding of metacognition, what are you thinking, you know, how can you tell when you're getting upset? Um, social awareness and responsibility, which includes uh, collaboration and solving problems in peaceful ways. The communication aspect of it and critical thinking, where kids are evaluating different solutions and deciding whether it'll work, whether it's mutually satisfactory. It's like tailor-made to go with the core competencies in our curriculum. So I, I put a big, I, I always take notes during our conversations, and I've got a big giant star next to that one to think <laughs> about how that connects to my discussions with staff about our new curriculum and how this piece is just, it, it meets, it's check, 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 everything. Well, and I will actually be in your neck of the woods on Wednesday 
right. briefly, speaking briefly. to the British Columbia Association of School Psychologists. Fantastic. I think I will be in Vancouver for about 24 hours. <laughs> not not long enough. Certainly not long enough to justify the amount of time that it takes to get there, but a very important group um, that <laughs> kindly enough invited me to come out and hard to say no to the British Columbia Association of School Psychologists. you got to get a day layover so you can go heli-skiing, Ross. <laughs> well... Yeah, the only problem was that that was scheduled just before the Lives in the Balance conference, which we had to squeeze in somewhere. And so, uh, so um, all the way here and then all the way back. All the way there and all the way back. And I've got to do it fast, so I hope uh, Air Canada is cooperating um, <laughs> <laughs> this time. Ryan, we have about oh, four minutes left. Any other things you'd like to get the input um, from on the from our educators panel here before we have to call it a day. Anything else on your mind about getting moving things further along in your building? Um, I no. I you know I feel like we're in a good place. Um, my staff is excited about it. Um, you know, and 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 that's the biggest piece. You know, in in anything is having that buy-in by the staff, um, because so many our our SAT team has been in place for a long time, and we've had good results with a lot of kids. Um, but we want to get to all of them. You know, we don't want any kids to kind of get through our school and and uh, to not have figured out and not have been able to help them. Um, with that, so that is, you know, that's why this has been so great for us. Is, and and I think just giving teachers that understanding that there is something you can do. We may we may not have the answer right now, but with this child, if you have a child in your class that you're having a hard time to figure out, um, there are options out there. And so just knowing that that alone has been so great for teachers because there are, you know, I've had teachers who have said, um, you know, this child is, is you know, has, has been a little problematic. The first couple weeks of school have been rough, but we're going to hang on and, and see how things are going because they know that they have something that they're going to be able to fall back on, um, whereas, you know, in the past, people would be in my office immediately within the second week of school saying, you know, what are we going to do about this kid because it's going to be a long year and you know and and I don't know what's you know what's going to work and so I I think people have just kind of taken a breath and stepped back and said okay you know we've got something that we can go to when we don't know what to do um, so that alone has been just a huge relief for people because they all want the all kids to feel good and and be happy and be enjoying class and be there and available for learning um, you know we know that all kids do well um, when they can and you know we see that over and over again so it's really just about helping those kids though you know that few it's such a small percentage um, that that uh, that we you know that we really need to kind of help figure out um, but that has been really the best part of this it sounds like you are well on your way there, and the cool thing about this is that one of the things Lives in the Balance is doing is trying to create um, mechanisms for the people who've done it to support those who are on the journey. Um, so um, if you need help, 
let us know. We have about a minute left. Uh, any last-minute comments from our panel before we call it a day? Ryan, I think, I think you just want to um, remember that it takes two people to get, to get better at collaborative problem-solving, two people who uh, – sorry, Ross. Uh, it takes two people to, to grow together in using Plan B. And the, the, what it takes is two people who have a general knowledge of the model, one person who's emotionally invested in trying to use it, and one person to give them feedback. So just remember, it doesn't take two experts. It just takes two people who are trying and willing to communicate and support each other. Excellent. Nina, Carol, Hi. last minute words of wisdom. Got about 30 seconds. Just oh, I just think there's you always <laughs> ups and downs. <laughs> yep, keep doing what you're doing and uh, reach out for sure and collaborate because it, you know, we're, all, we're all right here and just down the road. So anything that yep. we can do to work together. Well, I definitely appreciate that, and I will definitely get your contact information from Ross. That, that would Absolutely. be fantastic. Sure. That would be great. I would love to do that. Excellent. On that note, we're going to call it a day. Thanks to our educators panel. And, Ryan, thanks so much for calling in today. I, I think it was beneficial, I hope, to you, and I know to the people who are listening in. Absolutely. It absolutely was. Thank you, Dr. Green. Take care, all. Talk Thank to you, you next month. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.